Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for finding Whitehall Sources. Before we get stuck into the politics for you, a quick message from The Resident. These hotels like their choice in podcasts, are exceptional. Whether you're travelling for business or leisure, at The Resident, you're offered the best rooms, prices, and advice for your needs as well. We are so thrilled to be brought to you in association with The Resident, who have proudly backed us since day one. When we're booking a stay in London or Liverpool, it's The Resident we head to, and it's The Resident you should head to. To find out more, click residenthotels.com. And welcome to Whitehall Sources. We're recording on Wednesday the 24th of January. I'm Callum MacDonald and this is Kirsty Buchanan. Hello, Kirsty. Good morning to you. We, I think, are going to get in some health-related apologies just at the beginning of this episode. Uh, my one is that I'm coughing and have been for a week and it's some sort of weird, awful, chesty cough thing that's not leaving me alone. So I will do my best to not cough at you. But just so you know, that's maybe why I'm a bit croaky. Yeah, uh, so, so that's mine. So Callum has man flu, um, <laughs> Come and, <on>. I, <laughs> and I have a very mild cold, so whilst I might sound a bit stuffy, if I can manage to do the pod through chemo, I sure as hell can manage to do it through a <laughs> very mild viral infection. Ain't that the truth? Uh, in any case, thanks for being with us on Whitehall Sources. It's so good to be with you. Uh, as always, there's lots of politics to discuss today. And this is where we bring you inside politics so that you know what's going on and you get the best analysis of it with Kirsty, who used to work literally for the Prime Minister in Number 10 Downing Street. Uh, okay, we're going to talk about Labour's green plan, the £28 billion, or indeed the not plan, as it might be now. We might mention a bit of Donald Trump and Nikki Haley later on as well, and the kind of global situation in which we find ourselves. But let us start, shall we, with Sir Simon Clark. Uh, Sir Simon Clark, uh, former cabinet minister, called for MPs to bin off Rishi Sunak, saying the party's going to be massacred at the next election if he remains as prime minister. Uh, he ha- is understood to have written to Sir Graham Brady, the chairman of the 1922 Committee of Tory backbenchers, um, and actually understood to have written to him weeks ago, calling for a leadership contest. <laughs> yes, another one. Yes. And uh, on Tuesday evening, he went public, saying that Tory MPs should remove Sunak, saying he's, uh, you know, uh, uninspiring leadership was one charge, not listening to what the British people want. Um, He said that a a third Tory leadership election less than two years would be less damaging than meekly, quote, meekly sleepwalking towards an avoidable annihilation. Um, Sir Simon Clarke trying to come to the rescue of the Conservative Party. What a 
What a noble man, Kirsty. Do you know what? If I had any meaningful hair on my head, I would be pulling it out right now. <laughs> Where to start? Where to mm. start with this? So a couple of things to say, um, and I will try really hard not to swear, uh, <laughs> such as my levels of anger about this. Look, it takes uh, a lot of swings to kill a king. Uh, even a king as uh, sadly neutered as Rishi Sunak finds himself. So what we saw at the start of last week was what you'd call a kind of first swing from the uh, populist right of the Conservative Party. We had that curious poll in the Telegraph combined with a let's do something or else type op-ed from Lord Frost and that flashpoint around the Rwanda bill where ultimately the rebels, 62 of whom voted against an amendment, when it finally came to actually voting against the entire bill, which would have caused a crisis within the Conservative Party and might have tipped the whole country into a general election rather than a leadership challenge. They kind of backed away and bottled it in essence. Mm. So I think this is another attempt to have another swing around at this from the populist right of the party. We've seen sort of Simon Clark talk about this today. There is an article in Con Home uh, making the same facile argument that deposing yet another leader and replacing it with yet another leader before the election would be least less damaging than continuing down the road that they're on. I kind of want to say to both of them, the, the polite thing I want to say to both of them, there is a third way here. And the third way is you can all shut them up, uh, <laughs> exercise some discipline and unite behind the leader and make an argument against the Labour Party. And then you might see the polls closing because nothing, no leader, no policy, nothing is more damaging to the electorate than a party divided. And I, mm. I cannot stress this enough. All polls will tell you this. This isn't some weird, mysterious insight. This is just a plain fact. Divided parties do not win elections. The issue isn't the leadership, the uninspiring leadership of Rishi Sunak. The fact is that his party is squabbling like ferrets in a sack when this country and the world, in fact, is facing some really serious issues. And that is about as attractive to the electorate as, you know, a skunk in a kid's party. I mean, it's just, it's such a turnoff. So there is, like I say, there is an alternative here, which is that you all unite uh, rather than insisting that the entire problem is one of leadership. It absolutely isn't. I'm not saying that there aren't issues there. I'm not saying that there aren't, you know, policy concerns and presentational concerns, but nothing, nothing is as damaging as this endless, tedious psychodrama from the right. We had all this when I worked at number 10 with Theresa May. You know, first of all, we had the Remainers refusing to support her Brexit deal because they thought that there was a way that it could angle the country back into a second referendum, putting their own political beliefs above the will of the public. Then we had the Brexiteers doing exactly the same thing and ultimately at the expense of the leadership because they didn't want the sort of Brexit deal that Theresa May was putting on the table. And Theresa May will put that Brexit deal on the table because like everything else in life, you know, politics is a trade-off and she wasn't prepared to sell out Northern Ireland and the people and the businesses of Northern Ireland at the expense of getting an easy, you know, slash hard Brexit. Now, again, the Brexiteers say, this isn't proper Brexit, the backstop, it's so terrible, we can't carry on like this. The issue was the discipline within the party. Now, you can take pursuit of what, you know, the rump of the of the party would call perfection and make it the enemy of the good. And you can do that at the expense of good governance, the collapse of one leadership and the installation of the man that they all thought was going to be their great saviour, which was Boris Johnson. And, and look how that worked out for them. So mm. I just, you know, I want to scream. This is just a kind of waking fever dream that the, the entire country is caught in. The issue is discipline. The issue is not that, you know, Rishi Sunak won't pledge to remove Britain from the European Court of Human Rights if necessary. That is not what is going to make people vote. What is going to make people vote in the general election is the sense that they have a party that is united, that has a clear plan for the country and has a way of getting us out of the very serious economic trouble that we're in at the moment. 
And I don't mm-hmm. know anybody with half a brain cell that's going to look at this squabbling bunch of children and think, hmm, they're the people for me. I must rush out and vote for them. <laughs> yeah. Do you know, I'm just thinking as you're saying that, Kirsty, that often on the pod we talk about the kind of discipline in the Conservative Party and perhaps the immediately our, our kind of thoughts go to the discipline from the leader down and how he kind of keeps everybody in line and all of that. But actually, this is a lot about self-discipline as well, and and, this, and conservative MPs not paying attention to the warnings that they're getting from professionals and strategists like you. Also, remember, it wasn't that long ago, maybe like last week, 10 days ago, where Isaac Levido, who is the campaign manager for the conservatives ahead of this general election, said that they had to unite or they would simply lose the next election. Um, but here comes Sir Simon Clark, who backed Liz Truss, it's observed in the Times today as well. And he has kind of turned the whole party against himself. I was going to read out some of these responses from Conservative MPs who basically have pushed back on Simon Clark. Tobias Elwood, uh, there's shock and disappointment over Clark's intervention. He told Sky, uh, "Just we're just moving into calmer waters thanks to the leadership of Rishi Sudak. Clark's hitting out because his choice of prime minister is no longer in number 10. Um, who else have we got that's reacted? I mean, everyone and their uncle, basically. Kevin Hollenrick, the business minister, saying the party is overwhelmingly in support of Rishi Sunak. Um, in terms of the criticism uh, and the sort of uh, the unity, if you like, on the pushback, is there any upside there, I wonder, from a Conservative party that's turning around saying, actually, Sir Simon, you floated this idea and we're roundly saying it's a bad one? Well, the fact that there is, um, you know, a good chunk of sanity still within the Conservative Party, uh, I suppose, is something. Is it enough to make people want to vote for a party that is clearly at war with itself? No, it's not. The reality is, is this right-wing rump of the party that was unleashed by David Cameron in his bid to try and box off the emerging threat of UKIP way back when, and he thought it would be a jolly good idea to have a referendum on whether we should leave the European Union or not, hasn't been silenced and appeased, it's been emboldened. And its Mm. demands have got more and more vociferous. Its determination to capture the the heart and soul of the Conservative Party and force its ideological agenda onto the Conservative Party as a whole has been emboldened. And successive leaders have either courted that, encouraged it, or failed to tackle it. Now, I don't know whether Rishi Sunak is at any point going to remove the whip from a group of people who want nothing but to destabilise his premiership and uh, get rid of him. Uh, I think in his own right that that would be very problematic. Uh, But something's got to be done about this tail wagging the dog of the Conservative Party. The Parliamentary Party is not, and it's almost difficult to believe because the amount of airtime they get on the media uh, is disproportionate to their actual strength in numbers within the Parliamentary Conservative Party. But the reality is this is a rump of the Conservative Party. It is not the majority. The majority is it's probably about a third is this kind of authoritarian, populist, you know, right-wing rump of the party. But they get a lot of airplay because they, you know, they make good media, they make good stories, they make mm. uh, you know, interesting demands. And they're given uh, an awful lot of airtime, which again emboldens them and around and around we go. So you either try to appease them, which I think uh, Rishi Sunak tried to do. I wonder whether, you know, this weird determination to stick with the Rwanda bill when he actually didn't really need to, it was not his creation and he could have backed away from it. I wonder whether that was an attempt to appease them and say, oh, look, I'm, you know, I'm one of you. This bit of the party will never see Rishi Sunak as, as one of them. So we either stands up to them or we continue in this squabble fest, this endless mm. psychodrama until the Conservatives fall off a cliff at the next election. Yeah. Tantrums galore um, seems to be the thing there. I, I suppose, yeah, the lack of support for Sir Simon Clark is interesting. I suppose the underlying point is an electoral one that Rishi Sunak is struggling to turn the party around in terms of how the polling is looking and therefore how the general election is looking for them. Um, And I I just wonder if there is actually a kind of foundation principle in here that Sir Simon's making. Well, look, I I think what Simon is doing is is trying to to restoke a leadership challenge is what Simon is trying to do based on a poll 
that, by the way, it's very important to stress, YouGov has added some very important caveats to. So there's nothing mm. wrong with the YouGov polling. It's perfectly, uh, from a pollster point of view, it's perfectly uh, legitimate um, to to, to uh, predict the sort of massive seat losses. So what the Telegraph did, uh, which then the YouGov felt the need to intervene and say, this isn't our methodology, this is the methodology uh, of the Telegraph, and we don't think it's sound, is to take all that reform vote, 10-odd percent of reform voters or people that are inclined to vote for reform, and said, if it wasn't for reform, and you transplanted that 10% and put it on top of the Tory vote, Labour wouldn't have secured, a won't secure a majority. Now, the reality is, and this is true of, of UKIP, and uh, YouGov have stressed this, you can probably only say a third of that reform vote would definitely come out and vote for the Conservatives if reform didn't exist. The other, Some might peel off to other parties. Some might just simply stay at home. So it is not as simple as doing what the Telegraph did, which is to axe a load of reform and just immediately transplant that vote over to the Conservatives. And when UKIP stood in seats, you know, probably uh, they took as many votes off Labour uh, as they took off the Conservatives. It's not a straightforward read-through. So the methodology behind this kind of attempted coup uh, is shaky-bakey. Uh, and, you know, Simon Clark's attempt to resurrect it with, oh, you know, the next flashpoint will be these by-elections on February the 15th. And the first person that calls it Rishi Sunak's bloody valentine is going to get, you know, we should play bloody val Valentine bingo on, on the media, I think. <laughs> uh, but those, those by-elections obviously are, you know, being stacked up for losses. Uh, I hear May, or May will be the flashpoint. If I had a pound for every time someone said, you know, the local elections would be a flashpoint for a leadership, it never does. It always kind of peters out. But they're trying to keep alive this, you know, attempted coup uh, without tipping the party right now into a general election. It's incredibly self-indulgent at a time that the country finds itself. And I, you know, I, I listened to Keir Starmer at PMQs today, and I, this is the one, you know, leaving aside the kind of ideological battle, leaving aside the fact that, you know, divided parties don't win and everything, what a bloody insult to each and every one of us in, the, in this country. You know, our public services are crumbling, uh, we're paying the highest tax burden we've had since the 1970s. Our borrowing of our country is through the roof. We have no room for manoeuvre. We have huge issues around, you know, the implications around social cohesion from mass migration and climate action and the need for urgent climate action. And then you've got this bunch of self-indulgent children sitting over here going, he's not our kind of Tory. We want to replace him with somebody else. Mm. It just... It's it's beyond it's just beyond self indulgent and it makes me want to scream. So that's the Conservative Party divided circular firing squad, uh, you know all the classics very much coming to the fore again this week through Sir Simon Clark this time, uh, and so basically to sum up, you know not presenting a particularly attractive voting slash electoral prospect for voters. So then we come on to the Labour Party, who have had a bit of back and forth over the last few weeks and months around their plan for green investment. You might be most familiar with this. I think what's really interesting about this is the number £28 billion has really been seared onto any conversation about this. And it's a number that we've all kind of held on to. And the Conservatives have used it to attack Labour, saying they've no idea where this £28 billion is coming from. And Labour saying, well, we're only going to do it if the fiscal rules apply. Sidebar, I don't think anybody particularly knows what the fiscal rules are, nor does it make much sense. I mean, I've done a couple I of do. interviews. I, was I well, know what the fiscal <laughs> rules are. Gold Kirsty star will for tell me. us. Kirsty will tell us the fiscal rules in just a sec. And if that's not enough to keep you listening, I don't know what is. But I was just thinking, <laughs> I, I was thinking before we started recording, I've done a couple of interviews with um, representatives of the Labour Party since sort of before Christmas up till now, where we kind of asked them about this £28 billion green investment and would it stay or would it go? Um, are you committing to it? Are you not? Are you kind of committing to it a bit? And I, where we've ended up is that the £28 billion, which has become a really totemic policy for Labour, this green growth plan, seems to be going away. They seem to be backtracking on it. So 
Shall we start with what are the fiscal rules? And make them as sexy as you can, Kirsty. <laughs> there is no way to make fiscal rules sexy. <laughs> That's what I want to see. The literal definition of Rachel Reeves' fiscal rules is that debt, UK's debt, must be falling as a proportion of GDP within five years. That's that's it in a nutshell. The most important point about fiscal rules is it's a shorthand for, look, we're not going to crash the economy. We're fine. Mm -hmm. We've got it. We're Mm -hmm. economically competent, right? That's the point of them. Uh, If you could just bear with me, though, I want to talk you through the going, going, gone, shrinking green prosperity plan, which posits a very interesting question. If you do a U-turn slowly enough, is it still a U-turn or does anybody notice? Mm. And I posit that if this was the Conservative Party that had junked its flagship policy, there would be merry mayhem within the media about it, and rightly so. And I will come on to why I don't think that that has happened in this instance. It's not that you know the media hasn't noticed, but they haven't called it what it actually is, which is a jaw-dropping U-turn right, of their flagship policy. So let's go back to where it all started. So in essence, everybody agrees that the problem Britain have a, has at the moment is a lack of growth, right? We have a mm-hmm. completely Byzantine, stagnant, sclerotic planning system. That is a big part of the problem. Uh, and the other is, you know, there's a lack of investment in these emerging technologies. Now, Britain has all the talent and all the innovation and all the skills to be a world leader in the new clean industrial revolution, just as it was a world leader in the old industrial revolution. But you need to get in on the ground now, right? So in America, obviously, the reason that the Inflation Reduction Act, Biden's Inflation Reduction Act, is so impactful the world over is that was the kind of benchmark of a government that was prepared to invest to grow, invest in emerging technologies, invest in the next generation, and make sure that all that investment, private sector investment, comes to America because they have the certainty that the government has their back on these emerging technologies, right? Which is why the European Union, off the back of the Inflation Reduction Act, scrambled to come up with its own version of the Inflation Reduction Act and make sure that it had the mechanisms in place to give private sector investment the certainty to invest in these emerging technologies. What business needs more than anything else in the world is certainty. Certainty that they're not going to be left with what you call stranded assets, right? You're not going to invest in something and find out there's no market for it. Mm -hmm. So back in 2021 at the Labour Conference, Rachel Reeves unveiled this uh, £28 billion green prosperity plan. I can announce today Labour's climate investment pledge, an additional £28 billion of capital investment in our country's green transition for each and every year of this decade. I will be a responsible Chancellor. I will be Britain's first Green Chancellor. Conference, that is what a Labour government will do. Value for money means knowing when and where not to spend. But it also means knowing when and where to invest, to prevent far greater costs further down the line. There is no better example of this than in the case of climate breakdown. As Chancellor, I will not shirk our responsibility to future generations. No dither, no delay. Labour will meet the challenge head-on and seize the opportunities of the green transition. So let me tell you today what I would do as your Chancellor. I will invest in good jobs in the green industries of the future. Gigafactories to build batteries for electric vehicles. A thriving hydrogen industry. Offshore wind with turbines actually made in Britain. Planting trees and building flood defences. Keeping homes warm and getting energy bills down. Good new jobs in communities throughout throughout Britain. It's a vision of economic renewal which will re-industrialise what Labour called de-industrialised towns or what Boris Johnson would call levelling up areas and Rishi Sunak doesn't really call anything these days. Uh, And at the time, Rachel Reeves said at conference, 
a Labour government would, and I quote directly, seize the opportunities of the green transition without, and I also quote, dither or delay. She said £28 billion of capital investment in our country's green transition for each and every year of this decade, and that she, Rachel Reeves, would become Britain's first green chancellor. Now, this was a brilliant, bold, clear offer to the voters. We have a plan. We have a plan to how to get Britain out of the mess it's in. We're going to invest in green transition. We're going to create the new industrial revolution, which will create high quality jobs right across the UK, create growth. And what growth does is trickle down and allow you to pay off your debt as a country and invest in your public services. So that's quite literally how capitalism works. Fine. And then I think two things happen. One, that blooming Uxbridge by-election. I think Labour learnt the wrong lessons from you, Les, in the Uxbridge by-election. I don't know if you remember, we, we, we talked about this at the time and that it was important to learn the right lessons from this. And I think this is an interesting point in as much as the Conservatives learnt the right lessons from, from Uxbridge and I think Labour learnt the wrong ones. And it's not that the public don't want to see urgent climate action. It's not that they don't want to see this transition happen or they want it to be more slow. What they're not prepared to do is pay for it themselves. So in other words, I'm not going to shell out on a £15,000 heat pump at the moment, thanks very much, uh, while China is pumping out uh, more pollution than I could ever hope to see. So that's the, the right lesson, which is why Rishi Sunak, quite rightly, moved the uh, ban on petrol and diesel cars back to 2035 from 2030, which puts it in line with the European Union. It's not a great big bold move. Obviously, it serves both parties to make it much more of a wedge issue than in reality it was. But what Labour did, I think, was get a, a touch of the fritz and think that, you know, the public were cooler on climate action than they, that they really are. And particularly climate action that revolves around, you know, good quality jobs, uh, and prosperity across the country. But that's when you start to see that slow U-turn begin. So in the summer of 2023, Reeves told the FT all of a sudden that this annual, this each and every year of this decade that she promised in 2021 wouldn't be introduced in the first half of a Labour government, but she would quote unquote ramp up to that level by the middle of the next parliament. She also added that all spending, all spending would have to fit into her fiscal rules. She also then removed the word additional from the pledge. So in other words, it wasn't extra money over and above the money that the Conservative government is already investing in new technologies to decarbonise. That amounts to $8 billion. So the time frame has shifted. Then all of a sudden, it's not really $28 billion. So it's not 28 billion every year and it's not 28 billion right from, you know, day one of a Labour government. And it's not even 28 billion. It's about 20 billion there, thereabouts because the government already spends about 8 billion on capital investment projects. But by October, senior Labour figures were briefing the timetable had slipped again to the end of the next parliament. And at the start of this year, Keir Stummer had effectively killed off the pledge. He said it would be an ambition, but subject to the fiscal rules. So in the space of six months, we've ended up in a position where Labour is saying, look, we may invest some money at some point unless we don't. Now, I don't know what you call that, but I call that a U-turn, plain and yeah. simple. It doesn't matter how slowly you've performed that manoeuvre, that is what you've got. There's a fascinating quote in the Sunday Times around this story because Caroline Wheeler, the political editor of the Sunday Times, has quite rightly picked up on that, you know, where is this pledge now? And sort of, you know, dug into it a bit. And there was an interesting story that they're going to move away from this issue about money and talk about individual projects across the country, much the same way as, as the Conservatives tried to spin their way out of axing high speed too. And look how mm. that worked out for them. And there's a quote in there from a senior Labour source that says, the money is not the mission. The mission is clean power by 2030. The mission is energy. Okay, fine. But how do you get to the mission? How do you get to clean power by 2030 without the money? Mm. It's, it, you don't is the simple answer mm. to it. You know, and the reality is we are going to need 
to invest in this one way or another. So you're either going to have to import this stuff with all the issues of volatility in a global market, or you create your own domestic production and your own clean industries. But also there's a time factor. If you don't do it soon, all that investment will go to America, where the Inflation Reduction Act is, or the European Union, or APAC countries are investing now in the transition. Gulf states are investing in this energy transition. There is a very competitive global market out there, and we are way back in the slow lane right now. And so if you mm. don't invest from the – it's no point saying in three years' time, right, now's the time to invest, because all that – the chance will have gone. The opportunity is it's, now, it's time. and if you don't yeah. seize it now, you lose it forever. That is the anatomy of a U-turn. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Now, far be it from us to advertise political party conferences, but one of the major political parties is heading to Liverpool in 2023 for theirs. Hang on a minute. Whitehall Sources is brought to you in association with The Resident, excellent hotels in exceptional locations. Now, I've just been checking and I can actually confirm that The Resident has one of its excellent hotels in the exceptional location of Liverpool. Phil, who stayed there in February, says the location is perfect for shopping, restaurants, pubs and clubs, all within two minutes walking. And yet the hotel itself was very quiet. That sounds ideal for politicals for party conference. Or if you're on a leisurely visit to Liverpool, for example, stay at The Resident. To book your stay, click residenthotels.com. Can I also just say what's really interesting? So as you know, Kirsty, we do Whitehall sources, and then I also have Holyrood sources, which looks at Scottish politics specifically. And this is a topic that really dominates conversation, and it's exactly what you're saying. Certainty, invest now, see the rewards later, high-paying jobs. This is a problem across the UK, with governments not waking up to what is required of them right now that would lead to growth and would lead to jobs, would lead to net zero, and would lead to political success, electoral success as well. When you've got a clear plan that you can demonstrate is going to work in the interests of everyone, then that is an electoral triumph waiting to happen, but nobody's really catching on to it. Yeah, and look, businesses have been saying this for two, three years, loud and clear. We need certainty. We need the investment now, or it will go somewhere else. Biden, European Union on our doorstep, our greatest trading block, but also, you know, our greatest competition on both sides. They're bending over backwards to have price stability mm-hmm. mechanisms, to have credits on taxes, to make the investment uh, backdrop for for private investment in emerging technologies as attractive as possible. And if I was an investor right now looking to go, right, mm, there's an emerging technology, I'm a bit worried about whether there's going to really be a market for it, I'm a bit worried about the price difference between where we are now and where we're going, shall I invest in Britain, which has a delivery plan uh, of sorts, uh, but it's very slow, or shall I go over here where Biden wants to Throw, it's not even throwing money at the problem. It's throwing certainty uh, yes. through underwriting a problem. That's that's what it's doing. It's not taking taxpayers' money. In. And even if it was, which by and large it isn't, it's mainly in the form of tax credits, you, know, you invest 
to grow. You invest to save. And it matters hugely outside of London and the southeast. If you really want to level up areas, it matters hugely in Scotland, which is going to have to face a transition away from oil and gas. And yes, 25% of our energy, will, even in a net zero Britain, will still come from that. But that's only 25%. And what those workers in, you know, in Aberdeen need or workers in, in Teesside need now is the plan for how they transition yeah. away from the high skilled engineering jobs that they've got now to the engineering jobs for themselves and for their children and for their children's children. And nobody has a plan anymore. The conservatives too busy having a row about their leader and Rishi going stick to the plan and everyone's going, what plan? What you know, plan? Apart from you spending all your days squabbling with a bunch of, insert your own, you know, bleed out bleep here. Um, what is the plan? I don't, I don't, you know, outside of making things economically a little less disastrous when, than they are, uh, and spending all your time and energy on stopping, you know, a few thousand boats coming over, uh, but mm -hmm. at the same time allowing, you know, illegal migration to hit, you know, 700,000. Uh, what is the plan? And then Labour had, you know, an actual real world workable, logical plan, and it has silently junked it. And it suits both sides of the media agenda not to call this what this is, which is a U-turn. The centre-right media take their cue from the Conservative Party that is, con you know, pretending still that this is a real threat. And, you know, Labour are going to make you pay for this £28 billion pounds out of your taxes as if they hadn't taxed us out of their eyeballs. You know, and the, you know, and obviously the centre left wants to downplay it because quite, quite understandably in a post trust world, you know, there is a kind of need to say, you know, economic comp competence, Uber Alice. But the reality is, is the economic competence and the investment in, in Britain's growth are part and parcel of the same thing to me. And I just, you know, if people say, you know, we've got this uninspiring choice now between a conservative leader who wants to stick to a plan that, that nobody seems to want, uh, and a Labour leader without a plan. And, you know, I think John Crudus, I think, uh, uh, Rishi Sunak made reference to John Crudus, uh, veteran Labour MP today, saying, in essence, Labour's policy, you know, you know, proposition to the country now is vote for us. We're not the Conservatives. Now, is that enough to, to secure general election victory? Yeah, probably it is right now. Yeah. Uh, but do we deserve better than that? Yeah, of course we do. You know, if people say, well, why are people turning away from the political classes? Why do you think? <laughs> look at the mess we're in and look at the options we've got for getting out of it. And, you know, I, I take that they're still holding on to the, we're going to rip up the sclerotic planning system. And I say three cheers to that. Absolutely. The planning system in this country is beyond bonkers, particularly for major infrastructure projects. But, you know, I worked for Eric Pickles and Brandon Lewis at the time that we tried to make minor adjustments to the national planning policy framework, minor adjustments, and the battle you wouldn't believe. So, no, you know, again, gosh. that falls into a category of I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. Right, there we are. We've got the infighting Tories. We've got the flip-flopping Labour Party. Shall we turn to an election winner, Donald Trump, <laughs> at this point? Uh, he has won the New Hampshire primary. Uh, so in terms of what that means, basically it's another step towards him officially becoming the Republican nominee for President of the United States, which seems all but certain in many, many ways. His closest competitor now really is Nikki Haley. Uh, but even then, she's still quite some way behind. He gave a sort of very stereotypical 20-minute victory speech to Donald Trump. Um, he referred to Nikki Haley as an imposter, uh, warning, warning that she should be investigated for five reasons, observes the Times. Nobody's quite sure what he was on about, to be honest. Uh, Nikki can Haley I just, is. Can I just of, point out yeah, that this, this yeah. call from a man who currently is facing yes. 91, count them, 91 <laughs> felony charges. In 2016, they were saying, oh, what does he know about elections? He's not going to win. He can't win. He can't win. Oh, we won. And we got millions, and you can check this, and I hope the cameras don't turn off because they hate this, but we got millions and millions of more votes the second time. Right, Mr. Congressman? 
millions and millions of more votes. And, uh, but we had COVID and they used COVID to cheat and they did a lot of other things too. We're not going to let that happen. And that's still, and that's still going along. We don't forget. You can never forget history because if you forget, you never, you never recover from it. And you repeat, you repeat, and we're not going to repeat. We're going to have the greatest election success. We're going to turn our country around. And if you take a look throughout the history of our country, if you took the 10 worst presidents in the history of this not great country right now, it's a country in decline, it's a troubled country, it's a failing country, frankly. But if you took the 10 worst presidents and put them together, the 10 worst, absolutely 10 worst, I used to say five. Remember I said I'd say five? Then I said, wait a minute, we can add another five. They would not have done the damage that crooked Joe Biden has done to our wonderful country. They would not have done the damage. There's never been anything like it. She's kind of hanging on in there, despite this double-digit defeat in New Hampshire. Um, she got absolutely whomped in Iowa as well, in the Iowa caucus the week before. Uh, she did very poorly, actually, is what Donald Trump had to say. She's not going to win. But if she did, she would be under investigation by those people in 15 minutes. I could tell you five reasons why already, not big reasons, little stuff that she doesn't want to talk about, but she'll be under investigation in minutes. And so would Ron have been, but he decided to get out. That, of course, is Ron DeSantis, who Donald Trump often used to refer to as Ron DeSanctimonious. Uh, I mean, even, I often find this when I'm on the radio as well, Kirsty. even just repeating the factual sort of accounts of what happens around Donald Trump feels surreal and bonkers. But it is the reality that at this, at the time of us speaking, he is on track to be at least the Republican nominee for president and potentially the president of the United States again. Yeah, I mean, look, far be it from me to uh, advertise an alternative podcast, but it's not in our market, so I think it's fair to say. Choose carefully. I am and have been for years obsessed uh, by Pod Save America. It is a brilliantly funny uh, yep. brilliantly funny podcast. Um, and I have listened, uh, with kind of listened to the sort of growing horror, uh, <laughs> that, that what seemed to be completely inconceivable to them, you know, became more and more apparently going to, to turn out to be true. I remember doing, um, I, I won't, I won't name the journalist, but I did a, uh, uh, a, a radio interview, uh, sort of, back end of last year, probably about October mm. or something, you know, and because there were the Republican field, uh, for the, for the presidential candidate was really wide, but no one, uh, but it was also really splintered and it was all really low level. Ron DeSantis was that was the closest that any candidate had got to sort of touching Trump. And the more people saw of DeSantis, the, the less enthusiastic he was. And the party just isn't in a place where someone as kind of vaguely centrist as as Nikki Haley is ever really going to get any traction. Uh, I'm not blowing my own trumpet. It was bleeding obvious to me, and frankly, anyone with two eyes, that he was going to become a candidate. And I and I did this radio interview with with a you know a kind of typical you know London liberal graduate, which which I am too, a typical London liberal graduate, right? Mm-hmm. And I sort of said, oh, you know, blah blah blah. You know, there's a world where he obviously will become the candidate for the Republican Party. There's a world where he wins, and then he just pardons himself for this like growing mountain of felony charges. And the person I was on with said, oh, you know, really patronizing, oh, don't be ridiculous, that won't happen. Just look at the mm-hmm. polls. Maths is maths in politics, right? And there yeah. was never, ever any momentum behind any other candidate. And, and DeSantis obviously pulled out because, you know, I mean, frankly, why why the others didn't pull out sooner, I don't know. And I'd, Pod Save America is a very left-leading podcast. Yeah. They're all former Obama staffers, aren't they? The, yeah. the hosts. Yeah. And they're like, oh, you know, and, and Nikki Haley is, is closing on, you know, Donald Trump. No, she's not. She's trailing no. by 13 points. You know, this is not, this is not, she might have been trailing by 15 points a week ago, but it's hardly momentum, yeah. is it? So, uh, look, sometimes things just are where they are. And here is a point about, you know, political classes opining about why people have like chewed out of political classes. Trump has again, managed to present himself as the anti-establishment candidate. Mm. You know, he is on the side of the little man. He will fight for, you know, Joe Public against, you know, 
the so it's a bit of culture war it's a bit of sort of branding of i'm on your side against these kind of you know washington elite uh it it played for him once and it's played for him again basically and that is the point about the rise of people and it's happening right across europe you know if people want to understand mm. You know, intelligent people sit there and go, oh, why did Brexit happen? Why did Trump happen? You know, if you don't have an overarching narrative that puts people front and center of what you plan to do in office, then you're just going, vote for me. I'm a slightly nicer version of that managerial bloke over there, but we're both basically part and parcel of the same political class. We don't understand yeah. you and we don't, you know, and the reality is, is voters in this country you know, look at Keir Starmer and think, I don't understand you. You don't understand me any more than Keir, any more than Rishi Sunak does. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you've not got uh, a charismatic leader uh, who is prepared to say, you know, I'm not of the establishment. I'm, I'm of a different mold. I'm like you. You can have a pint down the pub with me, yada, yada, yada. The last time we had one of those was Boris Johnson. Now, Boris Johnson is every bit as much of a charlatan as Donald Trump is. But the reason the people are attracted to it is because they want to believe that the political classes have got their back. That's yeah. why Brexit <laughs> happened because we, you know, we, we ignored, uh, and disenfranchised whole communities by basically sort of, you know, impugning all sorts of motives on them where they simply wanted to be able to lead, you know, mm -hmm. decent lives and look out for their kids. On that point, there was a brilliant piece in the Sunday Times by Louise Callahan, who's just moved to North America to be correspondent for the election campaign and uh, the run-up to the election itself. And she went straight to New Hampshire ahead of the primary to speak to voters. And one of them, Megan, has stayed with me, Kirsty, because it's exactly the point you were saying there. So uh, Louise has been asking her about, you know, all of Donald Trump's kind of controversial comments and the you know, well-advertised difficulties that he has, whether it's um, the uh, charges against him or whether it's comments he's made in the past or behavior that he has demonstrated in the past. But Megan said, when he was president last time around, it cost me less than $20 to fill my tank of fuel in my car. And Louise makes the point that in New Hampshire, cars are essential. There's no public transport. You have to drive to get everywhere. It's, you know, quite a rural state. And so Megan said, well, I don't really care what he said in the past because if he becomes president again and can make my my fuel tank of um for my car cost seventeen dollars to fill it again, then quote yay for him is what she said, and so that is that is the exact make America cheap that. again. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Make make my gas make my gas for my car dead cheap again. But that's how that's how people think, and of course it is because you know she depends on her car to get to work and to see her family and all of that. And if it's if the if the cost of filling it up with fuel has gone way up, and she can remember a time when it was way down, and she can trace that to a person, and that person being the president, then you see it. You can understand why she likes him. Yeah, and and why wouldn't you? You know, and it's all yeah. very well, you know, you and me with our you know our nice, relatively well paying jobs yeah. to you know get our smelling salts out and go. <gasps> how could you possibly vote for someone like that who says X, Y, mm. and Z and is you know a lawbreaker and incited X, Y? You know, but the more you uh, rush to condemn support for Trump uh, or support for Brexit rather than sitting back and trying to understand where it came from and your own political class failures in addressing those issues, the more it will continue to happen. Because we live in a very volatile world. People feel very insecure. And yeah, you and I know that there are no easy answers to things, but we also know how attractive it is for someone to come along and go, yeah, there are easy answers. Vote for me. and This will all be great again. You know, whether you really instinctively believe that or not, I don't know. But, you know, you're so desperate to have someone understand you and your concerns and promise that they will do everything they can to, to meet those, uh, that, 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 that that's more attractive than, than what, you know, vote for me and I will manage decline in a better way than, than that person over there, which the is, guy. which comes back to my point about, you know, my frustration with the, with the ditching of the green prosperity plan, you know, uh, I don't, care if Keir Starmer is dull or lacks charisma. What I found most appealing about that was a bold, sensible, rational vision for how you get Britain out of the mess that it is in. 
And to have that junked because of something as simple as sort of saying, oh, well, we need to, you know, voters will never back us if we're, if we're not, if we can't demonstrate, you know, ironclad fiscal discipline. Uh, considering the backdrop that we're at at the moment, which is where, you know, debt is at record highs, personal taxation is at record highs, our public services are on their knees. I think I want and deserve a little bit more from my political class than, you know, economic competence. I want a real plan for how we get out of it. Donald Trump is a charlatan. He pretends he has a plan. He doesn't. He got lucky off the back of inheriting somebody else's economic discipline. I get all that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what he really does in the same way as Boris did is connect with people and go, you know, ignore these, you know, elite over here, Washington elite, Westminster elite, Holyrood elite, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Uh, They don't get you. I get you. I get you and what you need and I will deliver it for you. Now, whether that's true or not is almost by the by for some people. And in a cost of living crisis, you know, hope will triumph because people are desperate and desperate people will, will, will clutch at straws. That's the infighting Tories, flip-flopping Labour and Donald Trump. Another episode of Whitehall Sources done. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Thanks for being with us. Uh, it's great to have you here every week on Whitehall Sources. Tell your friends January continues. <laughs> we'll speak to you again next week on Whitehall Sources. <laughs> the longest Sources. January in living memory. Honestly. Honestly, who knows? Maybe Sir Simon Clark will have provoked a Tory leadership contest by the time we speak again. Or maybe Sir Keir Starmer will have a policy. Uh, or maybe actually Donald Trump will actually just be the Republican candidate for president. That one's probably the most likely. Nikki Haley uh, will case, finally accept the inevitability and drop out of the yes, race. Yeah. Exactly. Nikki, just go and put your feet up, love. It's not worth it. Come back in a few years. It'll be fine. Thanks all. Thanks for being with us. And yes, we'll speak to you again next week. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.